0: Hello this is episode 191 of the Get It Right podcast. In this episode I'll be talking about those of you who are working with someone right now on your home design. You're exploring all the options, reviewing sketches of floor plans that are being presented to you and you're loving all the possibilities and ideas. If you're working with an architect or a building designer or you're planning to, this episode will show you what you need to consider to maximise that relationship and get a really great outcome, not only for your future home, but also in the experience that you have in your project. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally, I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into this episode, I want to share with you a fantastic resource I've created to help you, and you can access it now for free. If you're struggling with understanding the overall steps for your project, what you should be focusing on and when, or how to invest your efforts, energy and money in the best possible way to get a great outcome in your future home, this will be super helpful. I've created a free online workshop called Your Project Plan, and you can watch it now head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan to access it and watch it online. I've also added some great bonus resources that I've made available for you and they include the transcripts of all of the podcasts in this season, this Christmas 2020 season, packaged up in a fantastic e-guide. You can find it all at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan and that's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N, project plan, all one word. Go check it out now. Now, let's get on with the episode. Many homeowners work with a designer when they're planning their new home or renovation project. And what can vary is the type of designer that they use, the fees that they pay, and the scope of services that they access the designer for. Depending on the designer, their qualifications, and the type of work that they ordinarily do, the help that you source from them can actually be quite varied. They can provide everything from advice on an hourly rate, through to a sketch design concept or they can provide a more complete design process that takes you through schematic design, design development, approvals and construction, right through to full services which involves coordinating the work of all the other consultants required for your project, managing and executing all the approvals, negotiating your contract with the builder and then overseeing construction, attending weekly site meetings, reviewing site works and recommending progress claims for payments. So a designer can do all of this. Now, many homeowners get confused about how much they need a designer for and what's ultimately gonna add value to their project experience and the home that they create, especially when you're trying to juggle your budget and determine you know, what you'll spend in fees versus what you'll keep aside for the construction phase itself. Now, my perspective on this is that for any money that you spend on professional fees with any consultant you're using in your project, the value that they add and the money that they save you, that should dramatically outweigh the cost of their fees. You know, when projects go well, that's the feedback that homeowners give, that it was so worth it to have these people on their team and that the expertise that they added and the mistakes that they helped them avoid far exceeded the cost of their fees. Interestingly, some research was recently released that explored this in relation to architects. So the research was released in November 2020. It was conducted from 2018 onwards and the membership organisation Architeam Cooperative in conjunction with the University of Melbourne, they undertook the first ever crowdfunded research for small, uh, small practice architects and the research was called Research for Architects in Small Practice or RASP. So RASP's first research topic was, do small practice architect designed renovations improve capital gains in the Melbourne residential property market? I'll say that again so you catch it. Do small practice architect designed renovations improve capital gains in the Melbourne residential property market? You know, really this was about examining the financial impact that small practice architects have on the properties they transform. And I'll pop a link to this research in the resources so that you can check it out. So I'm gonna quote a summary uh, of the findings and read it out to you. This groundbreaking study is the first of its kind to look specifically at the value that architects bring to house renovations in Australia. The research project compared two groups of properties, those that had been renovated with an architect and those that had not. To be included in the study the houses must have been single detached dwellings with two or three bedrooms that had been renovated and then sold after the year 2000. Efforts were made to ensure that the two groups of projects were directly comparable by taking factors such as building materials, planning overlays, land size and shape into consideration. The research process also led to key findings in regards to fees for architectural services. For every dollar that was spent on engaging an architect, the property gained $11.40 in capital appreciation. For example, on architects' fees of $10,000, The added value after 10 years would be an impressive $114,000. So whilst architectural service fees might seem high when compared with going it alone, the value return on this investment in the long term is much higher. And then it went on to describe how this compared to ordinary capital gains in those areas and how it was over and above normal capital gains in those areas. So it's really interesting. I, I did wonder, though, whether it would be the same finding in other locations. You know, this was conducted in Melbourne. It was done by the University of Melbourne. But Melbourne's a really—it's a very design-centric place, and so I wondered if that might be impacting the values being described and how they're attributed to design and architect-designed homes. Needless to say, though, you know whoever you're using, you should definitely be looking at what the ROI is—the return on investment—is on uh, in their fees. You know, please consider this when you're selecting your designer and you're reviewing how you're working together so that you can really maximize the benefit of their involvement in improving your project experience and improving your future home. Now, I know, of course, not everyone wants to use an architect, and an architect's not the only designer who will work with homeowners on their renovation and building plans. You know, we have building designers, we have interior designers as well. So I'm very clear about the fact that it's not about you only using an architect. I'll never tell you that. You know, much to some of my colleagues discussed, I won't tell you, you have to use an architect um, because it's with any industry. There are those that are great at their job and there's those that aren't. You know, they could still hang a shingle though and they can still charge people for their work. I'm passionate though about you choosing the best fit for your project and finding the right designer for you. And then you having the ability to check that they're actually taking care of you and providing you with quality guidance and professional advice that you know what good service looks like, that you know what you can expect and demand from them. There is a perception that an architect is the most expensive design professional to use, but that's not always the case. And, you know, I've seen building designers be more expensive than architects. I've seen interior designers who are doing floor plans be more expensive than architects. There's also a perception that architects only do high-end homes and that you use then other designers for everything else, or that you only use architects when it's a complex project or it's involving complicated stuff, and then that you use other designers for everything else. But that's not the case. So it's always worth you doing your research, that you drop some of those preconceptions you might have about any of the designer roles in the industry, and you find out who's going to be right for you, your needs, and your project. Now, I'm going to mention more about these different industry roles as we dive a little further into the. Podcast so that you can understand more. So, let's first look at what this stage might look like when you're in the middle of it. Now, we've got these three metrics budget, fears, and stress. So, first is budget. Budget and budget management through the design phase, it's where a lot of projects come unstuck. Now, it's unfortunately very common that homeowners will work with designers for months and months on a design. They'll emotionally fall in love with what they're creating. They'll mentally move into their finished home. They'll be planning the rest of their life post-completion. And then it all goes to pot when the project goes out to tender and they discover that this design is more than their budget, two sometimes, three times more. And then they can't afford this design that they've been investing time, effort and money in for all of this time. So, you know, it's what the industry is notorious for. We all know the horror stories of this happening to so many. It seems far more common than not and the fear of this happening to you when you're working with a designer is completely understandable. Of course, all of the information that I've previously mentioned about budget and what you might be experiencing in regards to your budget at this stage, uh, that's all relevant here. And, you know, at this point, you've hopefully set a budget, you have a means of testing it as the design develops, ideally by including a builder in your design team. And, you know, if you need help with how to do this and you want to understand more about how to do this, and how to choose the right builder, then the Choose Your Builder mini course will be perfect for you. But it's, you know, budget needs to be part of every conversation that you're having with your designer, definitely in this stage. If it's not, there's big red flags. So what other fears are there at this point? Well, what can become a stronger fear here is that whether design you're actually falling in love with, as you spend time and money on it, whether it's actually going to meet your budget expectations when it comes to contract time. And if you haven't been working with a builder in the pre-design phase and you're waiting to go to tender and, you know, get quotes once everything's done, then that can be a really strong fear. Now, there's also a fear as well of how you'll manage or prevent budget blowouts on site during the build. And then there can be fears that the homeowner, you know, has that they just don't understand everything that the designer is doing and that things are going to slip under their radar and stuff will end up in their home without their knowledge. It's a huge exercise in trust to work with an architect or a designer. And so, you know, I do sometimes worry, see homeowners worry that they um, that they won't be able to read the drawings or they won't be able to get sufficient confidence that things are going to be exactly as they imagine. So it's worth understanding that good designers will work with you to help you manage these fears and guide you through the process, ensuring that you have confidence. And ultimately to help you avoid dramas on site and help them avoid dramas on site that can happen, you know, if things don't turn out as you expected. Some also fear that they're gonna forget something or that the designer won't truly understand their needs and wants. There's also a big fear about how feedback will be received as well. You know, that can make homeowners super nervous to speak up uh, when they're not happy, about how things are progressing or they feel, you know, they're feeling underwhelmed by the approach that the designer's taking. So these are all understandable fears. You know, working with an experienced designer who's great at what they do means that they're familiar with the common fears that homeowners have, that you'll have, and they take their role in allaying your fears very seriously. They recognise that your home is a big investment and the realisation of long-term dreams and ambitions and they see how important their role is in honouring your trust and helping you feel more confident and comfortable about the whole process. As a side note though, any professional that says to you, just trust me okay, without backing it up with evidence or having done the work with you to earn that trust, they're not understanding how to work well with you. Okay, now let's uh, have a look at stress. So stress at this point, That can sometimes be associated with money and the fact that you're paying regular fees to a designer and then you're also planning your construction costs and you're knowing that that's coming up. Now, if you don't have fixed fees with your designer or you're changing your mind a lot from what was agreed in your original fee proposal, then there can be stress associated with paying extra in fees or ongoing hourly rates with no end in sight. Time can also cause some stress at this stage as many homeowners are wanting to get through the design phase so they can start building but when you work with a designer, you can really underestimate how long things will take and the time delays that can occur if they're a busy professional or a practice that's juggling other clients and jobs and there's delays in uh, in you moving through your design process. Now, some designers are not so great at time management as well and they can overpromise on delivery timelines and completely under deliver. And this can cause a lot of stress when you're already waist deep in working with someone and you're wondering how much longer things are going to take and you know they keep missing the deadlines that they've promised. So it's always worthwhile being frank in your feedback when you find that your expectations are not matching reality and getting things out into the open. It's going to cause you far more stress if you stew over things that you want to say but you're keeping quiet to be nice or polite or you're hoping things that will write themselves and and improve. Now Let's look at the mistakes that many make in this stage of their project when they're working with a designer on their future homes design. And then I'm going to take you through, after taking you through those main mistakes, I'm then going to share with you how you can get it right instead. So one of the biggest mistakes I see with homeowners make is the actual selection of their designer. So if you're listening to this and you've already selected your designer, it's never too late to realize that you've made the wrong choice. Um, And, you know, it's worth listening to this to see you know, how you can make a good choice if you're going to be choosing a designer soon. So this actual selection mistake can be made from not understanding what the different roles are and, you know, then how you might vet those people, interview them, review their experience, the questions they ask, the way they review their, you know, the way that you review their fee proposal. All of these, you know, these things, if you don't do these properly, you can get into a lot of trouble in your working relationship with your designer. I've got loads of content about selecting a designer, about how to have that first conversation with them, what you need to check in their fee proposal. I've got a list of all the things that should be in it. So I'll pop a link to those in the resources so that you can check those out and make sure you read through them. Let me just say, first up though, you can never ask too many questions. So when you're hiring a designer, you're about to enter a really long-term intimate relationship, where you'll need to build a lot of trust and confidence in working with them in order for you to get the most from it. Lots of designers and architects, unfortunately, don't have great websites or they aren't great at showing you what they've, you know, what they're all about before you get to meet them for the first time. So the questions that you ask, they're your chance to find out how aligned you are with them, whether they get you, you know, whether they get what you want to do and whether they're going to be able to support and guide you in the way that you're seeking. This can also relate to the type of designer um, and type of design professional that you work with. So, you know, many homeowners have mistaken expectations about what each of the roles are and what they'll be like to work with. So, whether it's an architect, a building designer, or an interior designer that you're working with on your future design. And remember I said in my last episode that I don't see drafts people as designers. Um, It's essential that you get to the bottom of their process, that you understand their experience, their way of working with you, their timelines, their ability to manage your budget, their knowledge about construction and the way that they work with builders. Interior designers in particular can be a tricky professional to work with on the design of your floor plan because it's an unregulated industry and they may have no formal training or not have a lot of experience in constructability and the structure side of your project or knowledge around building codes and regulations when it comes to designing whole home floor plans and exteriors. Yet I see loads of interior designers providing these types of services um, and this can cause massive headaches for your project. Um, they might say that they do spatial planning and those types of things so they're still drawing up floor plans. So I remember being at a party once and I, I was getting into a conversation with a woman who asked what I did for work. It ended up that she was an event planner who also styled homes and she was now doing renovation projects for locals who really loved her aesthetic. And so she was actually asking me questions about pool fencing and the type of glass to use plus a range of other questions about the build whilst we were at a party. And it was really scary because she was specifying things with no real understanding of the codes and regulations that applied, relying on the builder to pick up all of the slack in covering those things, not understanding the ramifications of her lack of knowledge. And I mean, that lack of knowledge was to be expected given she was an event planner and a stylist first and then had become an interior designer off the back of that. So it's, you know, but the client obviously wasn't expecting her inexperience and lack of knowledge to fully impact his home and its performance overall. She was calling herself an interior designer and there's a range of expectations that come with that when a homeowner isn't educated about what it can actually mean. If you're working with an interior designer on the design of your floor plan of your new home or renovation, just confirm what experience that they have in understanding constructability, buildability, structure, working with consultants, council approvals, building approvals, building regulations uh, and all of the legal stuff that goes along with not just designing a home but with building it as well. And also remember to check out the resources that I've got for uh, extra links and uh, especially where I take you through what should be in a designer's fee proposal because Agreeing to a fee proposal formally is is entering into a contract and if the fee proposal you sign up to doesn't include information about things like budget management, time management, changes to fees, company structure, um, company insurance, a range of other important items, you can actually have very little recourse if things go pear-shaped in your project. Now, the next mistake is where homeowners don't educate themselves and gather some industry knowledge and information about designing, building and renovating before working with a designer and during the process of working with them. Because what it does is it puts you at the whim of the designer and what they tell you. Now, I've spoken to homeowners who've been told complete rubbish by their designers, but because they haven't educated themselves, they've got no ability to assess if the advice that they're receiving is trustworthy and believable. I'm not suggesting you have to become an expert in order to protect yourself however this is of course is one of the reasons that I created my online courses and programs and it's especially why I work with homeowners inside the home method because I see what a difference it makes to the type of client you are when you're educating yourself you know it means that you can be an active collaborator as opposed to an innocent bystander as your design takes shape and you can really drive your project overall. Homeowners often say their role when they're working with a designer is just to deliver up all their dreams and hopes, communicate all their wishes, wants and don't wants, and then let the designer weave their magic to then present the ideas and visions in the form of drawings, renderings and other images back to them. And then the homeowner points out the things that they like and they don't like, and then the designer goes away and makes changes. And that keeps happening until you arrive at a resolution you're happy with. Your role can be so much more than this and it should be given the investment that you're making and the fact that it's actually your home and your future. The industry of designing, building and renovating, it's really terminology intense and that can be bamboozling and it can force homeowners to take a backseat if they feel that they can't participate in conversations confidently or they feel like they'll look like an idiot if they open their mouth and say the wrong thing or ask a question about something they feel they should know. I received an email from architect Christopher McGowan, who'd CC'd me in on an email that he'd actually sent to some prospective clients who'd been to see him about their renovation project. Chris and I met when I interviewed him for season 10 of the podcast. We were actually connected via a friend of his, an American architect, Anthony Laney of Laney LA, that I'd also interviewed. Uh, Chris and Anthony had been at college together in the States and Chris now lives in Melbourne with his family and has his own amazing practice, McGowan Architectural. And I'll pop a link in the resources to that interview if you want to check it out. Um, My chat with Chris was really great because it gave a lot of information about home design and also what he personally learned from designing and building his own home which was on a really challenging site. He now lives there with his family. Now, in our chat, Chris actually told me that he'd found out about me because one of his clients had been a member of my online program and he'd noticed what an improvement it had made to how they could work together in her project. You know, many members of my programs, they don't ever confess to their architects and designers that they're getting outside help. You know, I'm really their secret ally. So I loved hearing that this member had actually told Chris about Undercover Architect. Now, in this email that Chris CC'd me in on, he was actually suggesting my program to these potential clients as a way that they could get informed for their impending project. And he said this, Amelia is in a league or class of her own when it comes to demystifying the process and providing guidance in plain jargon free, yet highly informed English. One of our other clients, independent of us, had taken Amelia's course prior to contacting us and she cannot speak highly enough about it. What's more, she, our client, is able to sit at the table with me and the builders and really deeply engage in the process in a way that most first-timers struggle to achieve. Her knowledge has also allowed her to build trust in the process, which, when done right, is far more important than it may seem. Many make the mistake of spending a lot of effort in choosing their designer and then just hoping for a good process and outcome. And they'll choose someone who's high profile or has won a lot of awards and then think that, everything will go smoothly. I was super grateful to Chris for writing this in an email to these potential clients because to me it really summed up the power of what happens when you get educated. You know, you getting educated is a much better insurance policy than just wholly and solely relying on the designer and it enables you to be such an integral and involved collaborator in making your project happen. Now, the last mistake I want to mention, and there are loads, (laughs) but these are definitely the most common I see, is that homeowners, uh, you know, many of them will approach their work with a designer as a silo activity when instead teamwork is a much better approach. So, A design professional is not going to be the only consultant that your project will need before you build. You know, I've spoken on previous episodes about how useful it is to have a builder involved in your design team so that you can get that buildability and that cost input during the design phase. And paying a builder as a consultant to work as part of your team with the designer is something that I definitely endorse to help you develop a design that's on budget. However, depending on your project, you could also need a structural engineer, you could need a town planning consultant, a building certifier, a geotechnical engineer, you might want a landscape designer or architect, you know, there's others that could be involved totally depending on your site and on your project. So what do I mean by silo activity, silo, S-I-L-O, activity versus teamwork? Well, this again will depend on the type of professional design professional that you use and work with. As some design professionals, they'll immediately look to establish a team for your project and then coordinate their services whilst working on your design. Others though, they'll only work with you on the design and then you'll be responsible for accessing and coordinating all of the other help that you need in your project before you build. And this is the mistake that many homeowners make because they manage the activity as as the homeowner, they manage all the activity of all these various consultants in silos running through things as sequential steps. So what this will look like in practice is that you're getting your design done by the designer, you're having everything drawn up and you're getting to the point where you're really, really happy with the design and everything's you know, pretty much resolved and finalized. Then you find out that you need structural engineering. So you take it to the structural engineer, but what they say is that the home needs, um, what the home needs structurally will mean changing some of the design so you pay for the structural engineer to get them to give uh, their advice in drawings you then go back to the designer to get them to update their drawings and of course they charge you extra fees for that because you'd already signed off the design and then you take the design drawings and the structural engineering drawings that you now have to your builder and then they don't agree with what the structural engineer has done and or something that the design has done and then they suggest you know Also that if you did X, Y, and Z, you could access dramatic cost savings, particularly if some of the structural design is changed, that can be a big chance for structural, uh, changing to the structural design can be a big chance for cost savings. And so then of course you say to the structural engineer, can we make this change? The builder saying we can make this change, you know, will you still agree to that? They agree to the change, but of course the drawings then need to be updated and that happens at extra fees. You most likely will need the design drawings updated again so that everything's fully coordinated and it's documented correctly. And then you can finally go back to the builder and they can do their final quote. So that's just a small example of what happens when a project is run in silos and you're the one coordinating all of that work. You know, that can mean huge time delays, extra fees, plus loads of frustration and stress. If you're the one coordinating all of this, it's going to be so easy for you to miss things and for you to have problems in your project. I often uh, have homeowners who say to me, um, you know, can I be an owner builder? I'm really good at organizing things. And my response always is, you may be awesome at organizing things, but it helps to know what you're actually organizing. Do you have that level of knowledge about organizing a house build? The same happens here in the design phase. You know, if you don't know what you're organizing or the steps that you need to follow, then you being the one that coordinates all of this work can be really challenging and it's easy to make mistakes. The flip side of this is to work with a designer who does full consultant coordination and who acts as the go-between for all of your consultants. That way, these consultants can then be brought in during the design phase and they can input whilst the design is happening. So their input can be impacting the drawings the first time that they're done, not after they're all complete. Now, architects will generally do this as a matter of course, and some building designers will do it as well, but not all of them. Building a collaborative team, it is, it's a much better way to navigate your design phase and your project overall, and getting uh, experienced professionals to coordinate all of this work uh, is, is a far better outcome than you managing it through siloed activities. Now, how do you get this right? And avoid these mistakes. I've talked about designer selection, about not educating yourself so that you can be an active collaborator, and then doing your design phase as a series of siloed activities and not as teamwork. Well, the first way to get it right is to do the work yourself to first create clarity on your overall goals, budget, and what your home needs to do and to be to make your lifestyle and life better. Now, I spoke about this in a previous episode, but it is definitely critical when you're working with a designer, getting clear on these things, it's going to set you up for much better communication with your designer from the outset, and then it's going to give you the ability to review and provide feedback as your design develops. Don't feel that you have to draw up and resolve your design though, you know, yourself before you start working with a designer. I've seen homeowners spend months, sometimes years, trying to resolve the design themselves even though they plan to work with a designer. They're trying to solve all of the problems and they say the way that they think about what they want in their home is that they've got to draw it out first and try and see if they can nut out the problems and solve it before they hand it over to a designer. So they'll come to a designer with a full-blown drawing of their home and then it's a case of the designer saying well why did you come to me if you already had it all solved? And the homeowner will say, well, no, we don't have it all solved. We don't know if this is it or if there are better ideas available. But now everything's going to be benchmarked against this design and all of the effort you've put into it. And, you know, it could be the best solution, but it could also not be. The challenge is, though, that if you've spent months and months tinkering with it and agonizing over this design, you're not going to have a lot of impartiality to review other options that are presented to you. Because you're going to be so attached to the work that you put into this one. So, you know, whenever a home has come to me with an already designed home, I actually have to assess how open they are to alternative ideas and suggestions. I mean, you know, do they really want me to design something, or do they just want me to validate what they've done and then draw it up? In which case, that's not the role of a designer, that's the role of a draftsperson. So When I used to work this way with homeowners, I'd say to them, well, I'm gonna take your design as a brief of the spaces that you want and the type of connections that you wanna create, but chances are my design is gonna look quite different. Are you okay with that? And then it's up to me to assess how honest they're being when they say, of course we're okay with that, and whether they're the type of person who really wants what they've just drawn up already. Now, some homeowners just wanna design their own homes and create their own visions and be the one who gets to say, I made this, even if it's not the best design outcome and you know that can be far more frustrating for all involved if they're working with a designer because they just won't surrender to the design process at all even though that's the route that they've selected so if you're choosing to work with a designer and you've done all the research and work to hire them and find somebody who's a good fit don't fight them on what they do well or don't and don't try to do their job for them you know they should push you They should suggest things that you haven't thought of and they should suggest things you even might not like. You know, that's part of working together. Of course, if they keep coming up with things that you don't like, you know, or not listening to you and presenting stuff that you've already said no to, then you're not seeing eye to eye and there's sounds like there's a communication breakdown. But the idea of working with a designer is that they expand what's possible because they can interpret the vision that you have and they can create something that is beyond your expectations. So get clear on what you want Package it up in a way that communicates it clearly to your designer. So this can be a slideshow, it can be a written document, it can be, you know, a Pinterest board, it can be a physical scrapbook. There's so many possibilities. But doing this work and then having that work to revisit during the design phase, it's going to be super helpful. It can be really easy for incremental changes to be made throughout the design that little by little will shift you away from your original intentions. So you wanna ensure that the designer is tracking your changes as the design is developed and also is revisiting this brief so that they're keeping your vision and your goals front of mind and that you are too. And be sure, be sure that the budget is part of every conversation, every design presentation, especially if you don't have a builder involved in the design phase. The designer needs to be demonstrating to you how they're confirming that you're on budget and just working on square meterage rates can be dangerously misleading if there's not a lot of rigor in how those square meterage rates have been established. Now the next way to get it right is to not assume that your designer knows about sustainability and about designing for orientation. I hate to tell you how many designs I've looked at that were done by qualified designers that ignore the orientation of a site or are seriously greenwashed in an attempt to be sustainable. There's one company that I see on Instagram that actually has in-house architects inside a building business and they rave about their sustainability. But the homes that they create are some of the most energy intensive and consumptive homes that I've seen. Now we have a whole season on sustainability and what it means so that you can check that out. All right, season eight and have a listen to all of those episodes and I'll pop a link in the resources for you. If designing for orientation and sustainability is important to you in your home, and I hope that it is, ensure that you ask questions about that as you're selecting your designer and then ensure that it continues to be part of the conversation as your design develops. I um, you know I always find that designs that don't consider orientation they'll be presented without a north point on the drawings and designs that uh, that haven't thought about sort of functionality and flow they're generally not furnished so your designer should definitely be putting a north point on your drawings and request that they put uh, furniture into your floor plans that actually draw furniture into your floor plans because that's a surefire way to see how well the design is working overall and how functional it is and how easy it's gonna be to move around. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention about getting it right is how you conduct yourself with the designer. I have two words for you and they're these words, speak up. It is crucial that you create a working relationship with your designer that's honest and open where you can give frank feedback and always feel comfortable to discuss your thoughts with the designer. So many homeowners I speak to are wondering, you know, is it okay if I say this to the designer? And they're wanting permission to ask questions or to share their disappointment about the way something is happening in the working relationship. Many homeowners are worried about criticizing the design and providing negative feedback and that it'll actually personally offend the designer. There's this tone of the designer being an artist and the design being an extension of themselves, you know. And some designers really perpetuate this idea, which makes it really difficult for you as the client to say, hey, I don't like this, because it comes across as a personal attack on their creative expression, you know, on who they are. This is dash. You know, you are not the patron of a tortured artist. You're a client paying fees to a professional for the service that they provide. You don't need permission to speak your mind about your home's design and you don't need to fear that your designer will take it personally. It is essential that you bring things up as they occur to you. Otherwise, molehills very quickly become mountains. So I want to illustrate this with an example. I actually had a member of my online program, The Home Method, they asked in one of our uh, Q&As about the work that they were doing with the designer and they just received back the first round of design ideas and presentation um, and it was the first time they were seeing floor plans and ideas and they were underwhelmed and they said to me, you know, should we say something? Uh, we were expecting more detail, we were expecting sort of more um, but, you know, do we just not understand the process? Does the detail and all the extra stuff come later and we should just be patient? And what I actually explained is that designers can work differently to each other. So the good ones, even as they're sketching up your floor plans, they'll be visualizing the three-dimensional nature of your home. You know, they're designing volumes, but they're drawing floor plans, but they may only represent you with floor plans at the beginning. So as not to overwhelm you or to spend a lot of time making you know, drawings of what they can see in their mind's eye just to simply have you say no we prefer that other option because they're chewing up your fees and it's important that they manage their time so that they don't do that. Now you may only see floor plan options until you give one the go ahead and then you'll start seeing elevations and sections and more information and detail about the outside of your home. Other designers will though even at the early stages be creating material that shows you both the plans and the form of the options that you're being presented. And some will create a bunch of drawings and also pull together a series of photographic images of examples to show the kinds of ideas that they're thinking about with your project and things like material choices and colours and about how space might be treated and glazing types and those kinds of things. And ideally, that's what your designer is doing. They might just be showing you the floor plans, but they're showing you supporting imagery that really illustrates what's inside their head and how they're envisaging that things will, will look and feel and function, even though they're just showing you floor plans at this stage. Now, not so good designers, they'll design your floor plan only, and they'll not be thinking about it in three dimensions. And then when you get to a point where you finally agreed to a floor plan they'll like, then that's when they'll figure out what it looks like on the outside, usually with not so great results. You know, this is one of the reasons that we have so many hip and gable homes that have really messy, busy roofs, because for a hip and gable roof form to be uncluttered and simple and elegant in its design and not a mess of valleys and ridge lines and stepping in and out like those McMansions do... It actually means planning for the roof at the floor plan design stage. The floor plan drives the geometry of a hip and gable roof. And unfortunately, the 3D computer CAD tools, they actually enable designers and draftspeople to auto-generate a hip and gable roof plan on any floor plan, literally with one click. So... A roof that's created like that, that's not designed at all. It's not even being thought about. So my response to this member was just to be open about the fact that they were actually expecting a little bit more information up front and to ask when the designer would help them understand how they were planning to show the details, the finishes and the type of materials and roof forms. Because for them to have some confidence to give constructive feedback on the floor plan design, they needed to get a window into the designer's thoughts and ideas for the building form and overall detailing. So they knew that they were all on the same page before they could give the go ahead to keep going. And then what you do is you gauge the response and you see how good the designer is at rising to meet your needs or dismissing your concerns and showing that they're not listening to you pay attention to the red flags, especially when they come so early. It is so much easier to get out early than when you're months and thousands of dollars down the track. I have seen small, the smallest issues that could have been dealt with so simply at the very beginning of when they started happening, build huge resentment and conflict over a long period that completely destroys trust in the working relationship. And it just makes the whole process really difficult and really unproductive. Now, I want to jump onto the my big action step. But before I do, I just wanted to mention that it's worth reviewing the other episodes in this season because the action steps that I mentioned in other episodes also apply here. So things like testing your design still apply when you're working with a designer. Of course, making sure your budget is rigorously set and tested is also important. So be sure to listen to the other episodes for more information. Now, a great action step at this stage working with a designer is to understand what else needs to be done before you build. One of the greatest things about working with a designer is that you can tap into their experience on other projects like yours and you can get a great understanding of how to set yourself up for the simplest, least stressful and most headache-free construction phase. Getting as much done before you build as possible, making as many decisions as you possibly can before you build, that's gonna dramatically simplify the construction phase. Work with your designer to make all of the nitty gritty decisions and selections and get them all documented. Pay for a good quality set of documentation that clearly explains all of the design ideas that you're investing in creating with a professional so that they don't get lost in translation during construction. Determine what role your designer is going to play during construction, whether it's to be helping with site visits or be the main point of contact for the builder or at the very least be available for you to call and respond to your queries at an hourly rate. Your design phase is, of course, where you get to turn all of the ideas and dreams into lines on a page that communicate what you want to those who need to know. But it's also where you get ready for construction. So use your designer's expertise and experience to get ready really well. Look, there's so much more that I could say about working with a designer I actually believe that it's the best way to create your future home, especially when you do the work of finding the right designer for you and you educate yourself so you can be an active collaborator. I know that it's not for everyone though. And so, you know, hopefully this has been a helpful episode. And if you're thinking about using a designer, it's given you some insight into what you need to check and how you need to approach that. And of course, you know, the other episodes and even the one that's on doing DIY design, that's going to be relevant for those working with a designer. So be sure to check out all of those episodes. Now in the next episode I'm going to be talking about homeowners who are stuck, paralyzed, unable to move forward. Now this may be because you have a design that you don't love and you're not sure what to do now or you may have a design that you do love but it's totally over your budget and you're not sure what steps to take next. Being stuck is not great. Unfortunately, it is super common. People can get stuck for years sometimes and I often receive uh, emails from homeowners who are stuck for the reasons that I mentioned or even because they've had something happen with the professionals that they've been working with and they just don't know how to navigate themselves out of it. That general feeling of stuckness it can come at all steps of the process and it can either be something about your own situation or it can be forced upon you by a poorly performing professional or builder. So we're going to dive into all of that in the next episode. Remember to check out my online workshop Your Project Plan. It's yours to access for free and you can watch it now. Plus there's some great bonus resources for you as well as the transcripts to this season of the podcast all packaged up in a great downloadable e-guide. This free workshop, it will really help you understand the best steps to take wherever you're at in your project and how you can avoid some serious and expensive mistakes. Plus, I'll share with you what to focus on and when so that you know that you're getting everything in order for a successful project and a beautiful home. Head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. It's all one word, P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N, project plan, to watch it now. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.